0: Amen. Well, the uh, reading is Acts chapter 1, uh, 1 to 11, so you can find that on page uh, 1095 on the Church Bibles, 1095, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, We, we'll, he will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Well, that's the uh, very first bit of Acts as we embark on this new series. A good question for us to ask uh, as we read that is what should the church be doing? Uh, the people of God, Christians, what should they be doing? It's a big question, and it feels quite urgent sometimes, doesn't it? Particularly when you look at uh, recent census results. Uh, Christianity seeming to uh, be on the decline, or at least slowing down. And our culture seems to be at a point where Christians, uh, they're not really seen as morally good or upstanding citizens. It's actually the views of of followers of Jesus. Well, they're out of fashion, aren't they? So what are we for? (laughs) And more specifically, our church here in Canary Wharf. Why do we do what we do? What should we be doing? How do we decide uh, as a church uh, what our time and resources should be spent on, uh, spent doing? Uh, Should we get a bigger boat? Should we be planting churches? Should we be uh, working on our midweek ministry? How do we decide these questions? And then what about our individual lives? Uh, Should we... Move job. Should we marry this person? Should I uh, go and live in a different country? Uh, They're massive questions that feel very, very urgent. And if we look at the Bible for specifics on a lot of these things, I will be left a bit puzzled. We'll be thinking, I want the details, Lord, from your word, but it's not really happening. Marry this person. Go there. Do that. But the big picture, The Bible gives the big picture, and if we get the big picture right, the small details, what the church should be doing, what our church should be doing, what we should be doing, they fall into place and help us if we have the big picture. So we're beginning the book of Acts, and it starts with one of the most significant passages in all of the Bible. It shows God's plan for this world That his spirit would empower his people to be witnesses to the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. And that the gospel would go out to the ends of the earth. It's the big picture by which we get the best perspective. So, uh, I don't know if you've uh, got children, or if you remember your parents telling you um, that you, say, uh, couldn't do something, or that you had to do something. You weren't sure why, and they said, look, you just don't understand the big picture. And they sit you down and try and explain it. This passage shows us the big picture. And first, we get the promise of the Spirit. The risen Jesus, he promises the Holy Spirit. So verse one, uh, we get in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then verse five, uh, Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. The author of this book is Luke. Uh, He's a doctor. Uh, He wrote Luke's gospel. And it's slightly confusing that Uh, Luke and Acts are separated in our Bibles by John's Gospel, Uh, because really they they go next to each other. It's it's volume one and volume two. And volume two is uh, carrying on with the same story as volume one. And volume one, what Jesus began to do and teach. Volume two, the same big picture. Notice it's began to do and teach. So I have heard it said that Uh, Rather than it being called the Acts of the Apostles, as you see a sort of subtitle uh, in our Bibles, it should be called the Acts of Jesus. And Luke makes it really clear, doesn't he, that this Jesus, he's alive. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how crazy this would have been? For the apostles, for the, the Jesus' disciples. You're one of his disciples. You've seen him do uh, miracles on this earth. You've been, uh, had your hopes raised. Then you've seen him tried as a criminal, hung on a cross to die. And uh, then we see at the end of Luke's gospel that after Jesus was put to death on the cross, uh, lying in the tomb, on the third day, he rises again. The roller coaster that that must have been for Jesus' followers. The many proofs, they include Luke chapter 24, 27, where he appears to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, where he explains from the Old Testament that his death and resurrection and his ascension, it's all part of God's plan. And he later stands among his disciples. He points out he's got a physical body that they can touch. He stands in front of them, risen from the dead. They can see the wounds, even, of his crucifixion. Even more than that, he eats some fish. It's not a sort of vision or spiritual thing. This is a physical resurrection. It really happened. Jesus is really alive. And he did this all while explaining that it was God's plan that he should suffer on the cross, rise from the dead, and that this was the, for the forgiveness of sins. Luke is at great pains to begin volume two with the conviction that Jesus is alive. Do you believe that today? Jesus is alive. If you are skeptical about this, if you're not sure about it, if it's the first time you've ever even heard this, we'd love to help you to explore this more. Uh, why don't you uh, take away a copy of Luke's Gospel? We've got them on the a table at the back there. You can uh, read it as a, an adult yourself, a historical account from eyewitnesses written by a doctor in the first century. And we'd love to help you to do that, to explore it for yourself. Why not fill in those uh, What Next cards that we've got uh, on your seats that came in the service sheet today? A member of staff or indeed whoever invited you to church today would love to grab a coffee with you and talk more about the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive, and he spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching them. And then he promised his spirit. He promised his spirit. Have a look at verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. At which he said, you heard from me. For, verse 5, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In all four uh, Gospels, these uh, witness accounts of Jesus' life, uh, John the Baptist contrasts his own baptism with uh, water that he was doing. It was a sort of outward symbolic sign of repentance. With an awesome heart work to be done by Jesus, which he calls the baptism in or with the Holy Spirit. A spirit baptism is an inner working of the Holy Spirit. But imagine being one of the disciples hearing this, Jesus' followers, because they would have known that this, at last, will be the fulfillment of the old covenant promises that the Spirit of God will live in the hearts of his followers, So uh, passages like Ezekiel chapter 36, we see that spelled out really clearly, that the Spirit will move into human hearts. These Old Testament promises, they are witnessing the fulfillment of them there. This is God the Holy Spirit, a third person of the Holy Trinity, a person not simply an influence, but fully God. He's a, a Uh, God, just as much God as God the Father is. Uh, Just as fully God as God the Son is. He is eternal and he lives in human hearts. Uh, That's the promise. We see that promise enacted in Acts chapter 2 at what's called Pentecost. It's something that we'll look more closely at in future weeks. And it's worth saying as well, when we talk about baptism... Uh, The church still baptizes uh, with water, this uh, sign of inward grace. And it's uh, something that we do in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit is also God. So if you would say that you trust in Jesus and you've not been baptized, we'd love to help you do that. So uh, do let us know. But it leaves us with this question. Have I been baptized by the Holy Spirit? And the answer, I think, if you are a Christian and you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the answer to that is yes, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think it happens at the point of conversion, at the point where you say, yes, I will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit works in someone's life, gives faith, and they receive the forgiveness of their sin, all our wrongdoing forgiven. And the Holy Spirit moves in, lives in us. And so in Acts chapter 2, uh, at Pentecost, Peter preaches. In verse 38, he says, If you repent and be baptized, trusting in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's what happens uh, in Acts 11, where Peter says that the Holy Spirit I fell on the Gentiles. And in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13, in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. When do you become a member of the body of Christ, a member of the church? It's at conversion. And so that's the moment, I think, when the spirit baptizes. Now, uh, there are Christians who hold a different understanding of this. Uh, Who believe that uh, the baptism uh, in the Spirit happens later after conversion? And uh, if you're convinced of that position today here, then uh, you're so welcome. And uh, we would call it something that is a a secondary issue, something that Christians can legitimately disagree on and still be united in Christ together. Uh, So you're very welcome. But the Holy Spirit uh, living in us means that we have been, he has brought us to light. He is with us and he completely transforms us, whether you believe that that happened at conversion or at a later stage. That is the promise of the Spirit. But he also empowers the mission of God. So, the promise of the Spirit uh, Jesus is alive, he promises his Spirit. Next, we get the power of the Spirit. Uh, Jesus' disciples have gathered with Jesus. They're hearing his teaching about the Spirit and about the kingdom. And they turn around and they ask Jesus, verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, at this point, must have been thinking, have you guys not been listening to what I've been saying? How have you missed what I've been going on about? There's a a theologian, uh, John Calvin, who says that this question the disciples ask contains as many errors in it as it does words. As many errors as it does words. They're thinking that Jesus, their Savior, the promised Messiah, uh, that he will bring a political, earthly kingdom, geographically located, making Israel great again, so to speak. But Jesus' reply is intriguing, isn't it? He says, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So God the Father has fixed times and seasons by his own authority. Uh, He's the one who is in control of what is going to happen. And instead of uh, a kingdom being brought about physically, geographically located, uh, Jesus here gives them a mission. Verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Again, here Jesus is predicting Pentecost where the Spirit would fill his followers with power. And this was for a purpose, for Jesus's mission for them, which is that they were to be witnesses to Jesus in sort of ever-widening circles. So in all of Jerusalem, where they were at the time, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This, incidentally, is exactly what we see in the book of Acts. Chapter 1 to 7 is the gospel going out in Jerusalem. Uh, from chapter 8, we get Judea, Samaria. And chapter 9 onwards is the going out of Jerusalem to the Gentiles and all the nations. There is to be a worldwide witness of the church in the power of the Spirit, announcing what the Lord Jesus achieved in his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, and now proclaim him as the risen Lord over all things. Now, there are some that point out that here, Uh, This is clearly, it's a mission for Jesus' disciples, for his followers, right? For the apostles. And uh, us today, we're more like uh, witnesses uh, to the witnesses, uh, because we didn't actually see Jesus ourselves, uh, but they did. Uh, But I think that we can take this mission for ourselves today. Because while in this book we do see the gospel reaching Judea, Samaria, and the Gentiles, there is still More to be done. Only when the gospel has uh, been proclaimed to all peoples will the end come. So Jesus says in Matthew 24. And it's uh, not like the the gospel reached the ends of the earth in the book of Acts. It sort of hardly got past the Mediterranean. So the point is, we have the power of the Holy Spirit for Jesus' mission. And so there's a challenge for us today, isn't there? Do we realize that we are witnesses? To be witnesses. The other week, uh, Marcus and I, we were coming back from doing a lunchtime talk uh, in the wharf. And we saw a bike getting nicked. Uh, This guy had, uh, it happened very, very quickly. He had like an angle grinder out, just went through a lock, off he went. He was a a bit in the distance, but, but off he went. Well, Marcus and I, we tried to tell the security guys and... I went home and you know, that evening to my wife Sarah, I said, You'll never guess what I saw in, in broad daylight in Canary Wharf today a bike theft with a guy with an angle grinder out. I was a witness. When about telling people? Do we realize that we are witnesses to the Lord Jesus in our workplace? Going out there with the news of the forgiveness of sin and new life in the Spirit. In our families our children, our our mission field, if we like, or to our parents who don't believe. We are to be witnesses. Now, this could be pretty overwhelming. We look at our culture, our society, our city, our families, and we think, how on earth can I talk about the Lord Jesus here? But that's where we have the power of God's spirit with us. It is the work of God in our lives that helps us to proclaim the good news to others. So we wake up tomorrow morning, we log on to work, we make the commute, and we wonder, what on earth does God have to do with this? One big thing to pray is that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we would be witnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would give us the opportunity to talk about the Lord Jesus today. And doesn't this, therefore, show the disciples just how little they understood? The kingdom of God is to be international in its membership. The disciples asked Jesus to restore Israel's kingdom, and he broadens their horizons. Uh, Jesus rules over an international kingdom in which uh, race, nation, rank, and sex, they are not barriers to membership. So it's a joy, isn't it, for us, that all nations Come to London. We have the opportunity to reach all kinds of people on our doorstep. The ends of the earth come to Canary Wharf, where we are witnesses. So today, after the service, there's a a group of us who are heading out just onto a local estate to knock on doors. And we go out every month into our local area, where all nations live, and to tell folk of the glorious news of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to be witnesses there. And uh, why not join us today? You'll be going out with the power of the Holy Spirit for Jesus' mission today and every day. And after this commission, Jesus gives his disciples one of the very most... uh, After this commission that Jesus gives his disciples... Uh, one of the very most important events in all of the New Testament takes place. The ascension. So we get the, the promise of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and now the place of Jesus. After Jesus said these things, uh, look at verse 9 with me. As, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Imagine that happening. Jesus teaching, and then he goes no strings, no special effects, into the heavens. He's in that place now. And while they were gazing into the, into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is called the ascension because Jesus ascended, went up. It's probably one of the very most important things that happens in the New Testament. If you think about the the scope of Luke's work, writing Luke and Acts, uh, this is happening basically right in the middle. And that's because of what Jesus is doing now, that he is with our Father. His work on earth continues through his spirit-empowered people. And his work on high is different Jesus had to ascend. He promised the Spirit that would come once he had gone in John 14. And as Peter preaches in Acts 2, uh, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's Acts 2.33. So what is Jesus up to now? Why is this ascension So important. We would need a whole entire series to go into detail on this. But two quick things. One is that the ascension means that Jesus is our great high priest. It's the biblical way of saying uh, Jesus' sacrifice is now complete and he intercedes between us and the Father. Essentially, it means he's praying for us and saying to the Father, these are my people. So Hebrews 4, 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Essentially, the author there is saying, encouraging us that because of the ascension, we can keep going. We we can hold on to our faith. And when we have a conversation about the Lord Jesus with a friend, and it seems to just go kind of wrong. We come across as a slightly weird, nutty Christian, and we think, oh, man, I've really blown it. My friend is clearly a bit freaked out. And, well, we could be very easily discouraged, couldn't we? But because of the ascension and Jesus being our great high priest, Hebrews 7.25 is true. Where the author writes, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So what a joy that as we go out, as spirit-empowered witnesses, it doesn't depend on our own strength or how good we are at being a witness. But Jesus is our great high priest who intercedes for his people, able to save. And it means that Jesus is Lord over all things. He's enthroned with the Father. It is because of the ascension ascension that the lamb who was slain with the one on the throne, and he's the one on the throne, and he shares his worship in Revelation 4. It's because of the ascension that all authority has been given to Jesus, Matthew 28, 18. And this authority, well, it means that Stephen is confident that he is held by a higher power, even to the point of death, his final vision is of Jesus ascended on high in Acts 7. So we'll get to that in future weeks in this series. Jesus is Lord of all, including even over the spiritual realm as well. So we wait for the final day when all of God's enemies are finally and totally put under his feet, like a footstool in Psalm 110 verse 1. So someone who was at one of the banks in The Wharf, and not a Christian, put, to me, put it to me a little while ago. What is the USP of what you're doing here on St. Peter's Barge? The unique selling point. The way he phrased it was, hypothetically, if somebody's life is falling apart, what's the USP of St. Peter's Barge? And this is it, isn't it? Life, in fact, is not meaningless. And we don't have to create our own meaning. We aren't random atoms smashing into each other or electrical and chemical impulses. We are more. And the ascended Christ is Lord over all things. And so this changes everything. Because you see, it gives hope. Jesus did really die on the cross taking our sin and its consequences. He really rose into new life, defeating death and offers us the same. And he really ascended where he rules as Lord and offers the invitation to join him eternally. So we can have confidence, can't we? That because of the place of Jesus, the church has a purpose. We ourselves have a great purpose, to be spirit-empowered witnesses to the risen Jesus Christ, who's ascended, able to save and Lord over all. And so we're left with a final challenge then, aren't we? The final challenge is, is don't wait around. Don't hang about. Verse 10, while they were gazing up into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Verse 11, they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Essentially, these angelic figures say, why are you waiting around? Jesus has given you this promise of the Spirit. You'll have power for his mission to be witnesses. And the encouragement is that Jesus is coming again. And it won't be like the incarnation. It'll be coming as you saw him go. So you know how uh, every now and again you get a, a leader of a cult who claims to be uh, Jesus reincarnate. It's crazy. And this verse totally rules it out. When Jesus comes, he will do so in, a, in such a way that you can't help but notice. It'll be the final day. And have you heard of the, uh, the website Skyscanner? It's uh, one of these things that uh, tracks plane flights, so it lets you know if there's a good deal on. Or have you seen those apps where uh, you can open up your camera and point it at a plane that's flying overhead, and it'll tell you sort of where the camera's been, where, where the uh, plane has been, and where the plane is going? It's, it's quite interesting stuff. The followers of Jesus here—they're told, don't be a sky scanner, uh, don't be holding your, your camera up to the heavens, waiting around. They said, why are you here looking up? The implication is that there's a job to do. There's a job to do. And so we'll see in future weeks, they head back to Jerusalem. They pray. They're baptized with the Spirit. And the rest of the book is the story of the gospel of the ascended Lord Jesus going out to the ends of the earth. And so for us today, let's not hang around. Let's not wait around. You sometimes hear stories of people getting very obsessed with looking for Uh, signs that Jesus is coming imminently. Famously, there was a book called uh, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in 1988. Uh, The author then had to publish 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Returning in uh, 1989. And I think he continued through the 90s until he gave up. The point is, don't be a skyscanner. There's a job to do. And so think about it. We live in a world that needs this message. A city where our neighbours need to hear this. A workplace where our colleagues need this hope. So what should we do as a church? What should we do in our lives? Well, the big picture is that we need to be spirit-empowered followers of Jesus, proclaiming the good news to all. And if we align with this big picture, then the small details we can work on. But we know that we're going in the right direction.